for me as a designer, my work can kind of develop over time. So communication with others is one of the big reds. Um, there was an Elaine de Baton quote about how an eyebrow or an expression can shift just so subtly and it'll go from implying anger or sadness to joy and that we can see the same thing when it comes to type or mark which is really projecting forward to see what it is that we as designers and our students will be doing. So one example of that would be bridging analog and digital experiences. I try to, in my own work, have this dance between form and type and aesthetics that's not just what it's about, understanding the function of whatever it is that you're doing and how it lives in the world. And so like, that's really all about the experience and how people react to it. Megan D is a dog-loving typography nerd who is both a practicing graphic designer and a design educator. Currently, she serves as chair for the graphic design program at Virginia Tech and is co-chair of the AIGA National Design Educators Committee. Prior to joining Virginia Tech, Megan worked professionally as a designer for the architecture and design firm Marnell Companies, where she worked with architects and designers on large-scale resort projects. Her primary focus in design is in branding, typography, user experience design, editorial design, and packaging. Megan collaborates on a regular basis on freelance design projects and grant research, and her work has been awarded nationally and internationally by the American Advertising Federation, the AIGA, Graphic Design USA, Graffice, High Typography, How Magazine, Print Magazine, and UCDA. Welcome to our conversation where Megan and I discuss the importance of community and networking in design research. Megan, thank you for joining me. It's so awesome to have you as a as a guest here on the Designed Podcast. Um, hello. Hi. Well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, of course. Um, again, I'm having a lot of guests on my show who are educators that I've ran into uh, throughout my uh, uh, decade plus of teaching. So I've, I've been finding that really um really awesome that it's like, oh yeah, we met back then and we um, worked on these same conferences and, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, I don't know if that's just happening by uh, happenstance or by um, design, but nonetheless, it's really great to connect with people that I've um, stood alongside with and worked conferences and and different things at. So uh, if you would, a little bit about you then that that short abstract cv uh kind of plug yeah so i am currently at virginia tech i am an assistant professor although i've just submitted for a tenure but i'm also uh running the graphic design program here uh i've also just taken over as co-chair on the aiga design educators community mm-hmm. uh, and i've yeah. been a part of that group and um as a board member for the three years prior as well so I've been here at Virginia Tech for uh, just over eight years, and I used to run a student-run design studio called Poor Design here. I spent three years doing that. Um, got my graduate education at Virginia Commonwealth University, which is what brought me to Virginia. So I'm originally from the Midwest, St. Louis specifically, University of Illinois for undergraduate, and lived in Las Vegas working for a large architecture and design firm doing a lot of logos and branding and mural design and illustration. Oh, wow. That's, that's interesting. So doing design work for an architectural firm. Yes. Uh, yeah. It was an interesting experience and I'd never been to Las Vegas until I had an interview there. And 
that was in the days when they had a lot of big budgets and right before the economy tanked. So yeah, interesting yeah. time to be a part of those things. Definitely. And it's, it's, and that's why I kind of love this profession. Uh, whether you're an yeah. educator or a designer, uh, you get a chance to, to really go anywhere and do anything. And I think that's amazing. Um, quickly, uh, for those that are listening when you get a chance definitely check out megan's uh website i've already commented offline to megan about um how beautiful it is and how beautiful the work is um we all have our own aesthetic and our own style and oftentimes we kind of look at our own stuff and are kind of like eh, yeah okay I'm, I'm making things um but uh always remember you guys are making great things and megan's making some great stuff too i'm kind of looking at her, her website on the uh, browser I have open at the same time that we're talking. Um, wonderful stuff. And you're doing so many things. How do you, how do you balance it all? Uh, sometimes better than others. Uh, I would say that one of the things I'm striving toward now is keeping things more in balance. Um, I do sometimes have a tendency to um, take on a lot and then you know, give up going to the gym for a little while, things like that, and trying to balance health and teaching and research all at once and having home life and those sorts of things. Uh, I would say that I've been pretty lucky with just having a lot of opportunities uh, come to me in the, by being at Virginia Tech. It's a large research university, so there's some institutions in place that really connect you with other passionate people doing cool projects. Uh, and some of it's just more happenstance. I know I've done some collaborations with the School of Performing Arts, and I believe a lot of that has to do with we're in the same building. And mm -hmm. so, you know, walking down the hallway on the way to the bathroom one day, someone asked me if I wanted to participate in a large-scale research project at a, uh, we've got a four-story black box theater just across the street here. And so getting into immersive theater design with that group and uh, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of it's just saying yes when opportunities arise. Yeah, that was something I actually uh, wanted to touch on during our conversation. So I think we're going to definitely come back to that and and um, talk about that community, that networking, and how it how it really uh, adds to or takes away the opportunity uh, for research. Um, so as I've I've mentioned in uh, the first episode of this season, this is episode two of season one. And um, the season is basically focused around this idea of research as just kind of this overarching big theme. And then what that means individually to uh, each person that we, that we speak with. And eventually, how does that relate to, relate to, relate to their teaching? Um, so balance is a big thing that's really important. And um, as, we're, as we're talking about that before we get into more about your particular research um, and talking about balance... Is it, it does the research for you seem to come and go for in waves, or do you say, well, my summer's my research time? I think a lot of young educators, as they start on their career path, uh, young being young in the in the career path, because some of us enter uh, at different stages of our lives. Um, do, it, do you find this a constant thing, or do you plan time for that? How do you set aside that that time for research? So it really varies a lot from year to year and semester to semester. And I would say I'm getting better and better at finding that balance. But uh, summers are you know, times to do big chunks of research and also to recharge. 
Um, but I would say that what I try to do is little check-ins with myself as well. So sort of looking at a semester or a period of time and thinking about uh, what it is that I'd like to do. So sometimes there might be a large scale project and you know you have to do that thing, like a grant research or a collaborative kind of thing. And other times it's a little more open-ended. Um, mm -hmm. And so I get that kind of big picture in mind and then I'll do a little bit of a weekly check-in most of the time where you see what your week looks like and if it's really jam-packed, it might not have that many times, but I'll uh, what I found that works best is if I can actually block off uh, some few hour long chunks uh, at least once a week to preserve that research mm -hmm. time. And for me, a lot of that uh, looks like creative research. I prefer the making, although a lot of that mm -hmm. has to also mm -hmm. do with reflections on those makings. Uh, but occasionally it's more writing or those things as well. And I, I try to keep active with client base. I do some freelance for a company in town here called Joba. And uh, I've got some other contacts as well. And so that's a little harder to plan for because you don't know when the next logo project is going to pop up. But. Yeah. Well, that was something you didn't, uh, didn't mention either when you were doing your introduction is that you're an active designer oh, yeah. uh, as well, you know, and um, that, e that even amplifies that, that how busy you are as well. Um, and you also just mentioned grant writing. And I think it'd be great if I uh, revisited this idea of grant writing in another season and we kind of did some did some talks on on that alone. Um, we're creative people and we're we're teaching in a, a, a creative program. And writing sometimes is that one thing that all of us kind of hate to do or don't really understand where to go and how to how to get through that process. Um, so what kind of um, what does your research look like? past, present, and future. Let's kind of give it a little yeah. overview then. So uh, I did come from industry. So as I was talking about working for that large-scale architecture and design firm, so that was my initial launch. And, you know, addition to having some more editorial experience, I was graphics editor for my college newspaper and art director of a community magazine back when print was alive and well. Uh, yeah. And so I, during graduate school, I kept on with a lot of freelance design. Uh, so Las Vegas was, they said, the third worst hit by the economic downturn, which had a strange um, impact on really spreading my network out. And that um, about two thirds of the company I was working for was let go, but they ended up all starting their own firms or working different places. So uh, I worked as a consultant one summer for my former boss who joined up with a different architecture firm. And um, But I really didn't want to stay in Las Vegas for love it or hate it. Uh, mm -hmm. But so then my graduate research was a little bit more into uh, thinking about mark making and how uh, type and image um, relate to how we can react to them. So there was an Elaine de Baton quote about how um, eyebrow or an expression can shift uh, just so subtly and it'll go from implying anger or sadness to joy and that we can see the same thing when it comes to type or marks. And so, um, and like since that starting quote. it, yeah, that, yeah. I, that was not verbatim. He did a better job, but <laughs> that, that concept um, 
And so then at Virginia Tech, running that student design studio was where I started. But then when I transitioned into a tenure track role, I began taking on client work more for myself again. And um, I always, I, I'm one of those, I, I feel that desire to make. And so I have mm -hmm. different projects I come back to, like mailing individually designed cards to strangers uh, as a way to just kind of make things and connect is, with others. Is that the postcard project? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's on your website as well. So those that want to check that out. Okay. Continue. Sorry about that. Uh, oh, no, that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, and so since Virginia Tech's a research one, really 40% of my job is supposed to be teaching, 40% is supposed to be research, and 20% things like service to both the uh, at the university and organizations like AIGA. Um, and so because of that, I think I have a little more time, but also I have to perform uh, some research. And so client work and things can count, but I've also had some nice grant projects. Uh, so one of my fellow faculty in studio art was working on a grant project with an engineer where he was creating firefighting protective body panels uh, oh, for this yeah. humanoid robot uh, that mm -hmm. was designed to go on naval ships to um, help put out fires because you couldn't put people down there. So that's not something I ever would have thought that I would ever do. Uh, but because the opportunity arose, I sort of just took it. So mm -hmm. I've had a few kind of more happenstance, larger things and a couple more self-initiated grants. Okay. Let me, let me ask you this question too, because I've, um, as, as we do our research, there's different, um, expectations yeah. from different universities. Yeah. Uh, there's different expectations from your own department to your college dean to, to the president or the, the, the upper level, um, review when it comes to that research. Um, and this is the, this is the tough part that, uh, a lot of young designers or a lot of young design educators need to understand is um, really be aware of what the expectations are for that university uh, going in because you need to know if it's a match or not to to your ideals, to your beliefs. Um, so bringing that around, do you think that your does, does your research have a fluid consistency to your research or is it happenstance of these different projects? And how do you how do you keep them related to the overarching uh, research goals that you're doing? That's uh, an I, excellent question, and yeah. also really good advice to um, educators. So I would say, uh, just as an aside, one of the things I'm trying to do with the AIGA Design Educators Community is actually build an archive of um, promotion and tenure guidelines, and also mm -hmm. documentation of CVs and things. So it's not really off the ground yet, but that'll be open to everyone if I do manage to gather enough information there. Because at my university, we didn't have a benchmarking standard in place. So uh, we're considered a CHEV peer institution. So we are, look for other institutions that fall on that to see what other designers are doing. But it's such a moving, open-ended target that it can be yeah. quite hard. So. Our university most broadly defines uh, to get promotion to associate uh, distinction at the national level and for promotion to full is uh, distinction at the international level. And so if you can, whatever your research might be, uh, 
uh, find ways to get peer review, whether that's conference papers or uh, publishing journal articles or books that in which it's been reviewed or award shows and things. So I think because I do a lot of making, I'll try to enter co competitions and things just as a way of getting that peer review mm -hmm. aspect in place. I, th I think, you know, you talk about moving targets. I think one of the fastest moving targets is like award shows for design educators. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, what does that look like? Um, well, and I, I, yeah. I do yeah, your well, F and W media just went bankrupt as well. Oh, going online to look for the oh, how no. competition. And so it's closed its stores as well. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So yeah. it's even getting more difficult yeah. for sure. And, um, it's the type of thing too, where, um, I, I've had in the past, um, direction saying, well, you should be competing with professional graphic designers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you did the same thing that I always do. Like, uh, you do the eye roll and go, uh, it, no, it's not the same because, you know, right. I'm not working professionally full time with getting with a that group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they say, well, you know, what art, uh, uh, exhibitions or awards shows are you getting your work into? And it's like, well, it doesn't work like that either because graphic design doesn't necessarily fall into the same category as fine art, you know? So right. it's a, it's a really tough struggle when it comes to that kind of stuff. So then again, that question if you want to talk maybe about a couple of your projects and then how are they, are they all inter interlocked? How are you finding that interlock? Yeah. Oh, I guess I didn't answer that part of your question. <laughs> well, yeah, we got talking about some really important stuff. So, so that's completely fine. And then, um, well, I'll ask the second part of the question after. So I actually answered yeah. the question. <laughs> uh, I would say that was one thing we had uh, for promotion to tenure. You have a four page candidate statement you write and, the number one thing they kept drilling into me was how does everything connect? You know, how are you doing something with robots and mailing postcards to strangers and making a logo? Yeah. Anyway, and I would say, well, because I did them, but really <laughs> some of those threads. And so I think for me, a few of them are uh, connecting design and technology and what that looks like, or more broadly sort of the art and technology uh, a lot of interdisciplinary collaboration, although uh, that's a funny one because universities really promote that as well as design communities. But then you also have to be accountable for, did you do 10% of that project or 90% of that project or 1%? Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, so it's a, a funny little bit of a dance. So what are the, um, the projects that, so you've talked about the robot uh, project. So you and uh, some students did like the skins uh, for the robot. And I believe it uh, was to make it seem more friendly to someone that might be in distress. So that's kind of a, um, I'll use the word semiotic, but it's not really, really that, but it's a, it's a, it's a memory of someone, you know, that's a safe, uh, safe person to trust in helping you. Yeah. Am so I for that? that one, uh, it was a few years back. And so the sculptor that I worked with, uh, and we had a creative technologies graduate student. Uh, so I did a lot of the uh, research and positioning. So looking to other industries too, such as um, industrial design. And, you know, you might be looking at motorcycle gear. One of the challenges was robots can move in ways that humans can't move. So how flexible can you be with that? Uh, 
having colors that would be easy to see in a fire and would let people know what the purpose was for that. And also thinking about the uncanny valley. Um, if you had something that looks too close to human, it can be creepy, but cute wouldn't necessarily be appropriate either. So, but they, they did research that found um, people that interacted with robots on a regular basis. If the robot uh, seemed friendlier and they liked the robot, they would actually treat it better. Uh, so some of it can even be to get people to take better care of things they're interacting with. Oh, that's really interesting. And uh, the it looked really cool too. And uh, I tell everybody, hey, go back to Megan's website and <laughs> click on grant research and check out the the robot project. That was really cool. So then, how does how do you find this tie then between putting skin skin right how do you yes. skin a robot and then do uh like a uh, a shakespeare piece in um in a fine gallery or the or the po um po- poetic pieces that you've done yeah so i think to seeing how um my work can kind of develop over time and uh, I, I really have a couple sentences that I worked for a month on that I should be able to remember, although I think <laughs> I've mentally blocked everything from tenure out of my mind. <laughs> just that happens. Waiting and seeing what happens. Uh, but uh, I, I think for me as a designer, uh, communication with others is one of the big threads there as well. So um, for instance, with uh, the Shakespeare project, we had these projected uh, typographic videos that I created that went along with audio recordings of students at Virginia Tech who were um, going through Shakespearean sonnets. And uh, it was in this beautiful large theater where uh, you could only hear it if you stepped into uh, this sort of spotlight of sound where we also had a spotlight so you'd know where to stand. So the idea that you would have this auditory experience where you'd hear Shakespeare and the visuals. And then we also worked with a um, music professor here who created ambient sounds and there were uh, 139 speakers I believe in that space which uh, enables you to have locationalized audio so when you'd walk by part of it you might hear a babbling brook and then birds chirping from higher up so trying to get people to um, live with Shakespeare a little bit longer than they might otherwise uh, and that multimodal so just playing with communication and different senses and Poe was the same kind of thing, but it was more of a 360 video. There's a round theater um, that you can project onto. So trying to find ways for people to change those experiences and you can observe and react. And, uh, I think design in general too is trying to figure out where they're going. I know AIGA National, and Meredith Davis and some others have put out the design futures, which is um, really projecting forward to see what it is that we as designers and our students will be doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, so one example of that would be bridging uh, analog, analog and digital experiences. So for instance, if you um, have an app like Uber or Lyft and you order a car and it arrives, how does that experience translate from that digital experience to the physical or online shopping would be another example of something like that. So these are 
issues that wouldn't have existed when we were in design school because yeah. apps <laughs> didn't exist when we were in yeah. design school, but also just that ability to look forward. And I, I, you said this one word multiple times and I think it just kind of sums it all up experience. Yeah. You know, we're no longer um, designing for print, right? That's the, right. that's the accolade we're all used to, um, you know, but we're designing for an experience now. And uh, I've said this in previous podcasts, so I apologize to all the repetitive listeners that hear it again. Um, I even talk to students about when they're building a poster now, you know, great, you built a poster. What's the experience? You know, right. how does that interact with me in the space that I'm in, in the time that I'm at and all those other elements? Um, so I think that's that's a, a huge part of it. Um, so I forgot my second part of that question now. Figures, right? Um, so I, I'm trying to I'm trying to recall it and I just feel like I can't get it back. Um, so let me see if I can segue myself into it. Um, so we talked about experience kind of being, being that big tie. Um, you've talked a little bit about, um, communication and technology. Uh, do you think that's, that's kind of the tie that pulls, that pulls your work kind of together? I would say that's a huge part of it. Um, that understanding how people are engaging with your work, uh, and how your work is functioning in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think, also in general, the design industry is caring more about listening to the user. And I try to, in my own work, have this stance between, um, I truly care about form and type and aesthetics, but that's not just what it's about. Mm -hmm. um, and so understanding the function of whatever it is that you're doing and how it lives in the world. And so like you were saying, that's really all about the experience and whether yeah. something's ugly or beautiful or uh, how people react to it. And, uh, I think too, with both my own work and the projects we do in the classroom, um, thinking about what's the best fit, like what's appropriate is, should this project be a poster or should it be a website or should it be something mm -hmm. altogether new? So uh, let's, let's use that to move forward then. So from these uh, few experiences, so you've kind of broken down your own portfolio work, your student portfolio work, and uh, your grant research. Um, and, I, and I'm assuming that in your tenure application, your portfolio work, your client work, is just as critical, as important to you as an educator. Um, so let's just start with those research projects. Um, how do you find that correlation between what you've gained from that research and those installations and those experiences um, that you're pulling back into the classroom. So the question may be, are you looking for those when you begin that research? Does that interest in the classroom prompt the research or does the research prompt change in the classroom? Yeah. So I do think that they're becoming more seamlessly integrated for me. Although sometimes uh, in the classroom might involve students, but not actually be in any of my classes, but I don't care too much about those lines. So for instance, uh, last fall, uh, a creative technologies faculty, Wallace, who I work with, uh, approached me about working on, uh, as a faculty advisor on this NASA suits project. So oh, we yeah. uh, got a team together to uh, look at creating extravehicular activity, uh, augmented reality systems for astronauts. 
And wow. we got uh, an engineer, a computer scientist, creative technologist, a couple graphic designers uh, all together. And we were one of the finalist teams and went to NASA to compete on site and got to talk to a space architect and see mission control. And uh, I just found out this week, one of the graphic designers that went just got a job at NASA. So oh, wow. really excited for her. So that was one where... Um, even though the role was really faculty advisor, not what I'm doing, um, you know, the, where the research and what I've done with thinking about AR, VR and other systems, um, really seamlessly wove together. So, Mm -hmm. but technically I guess that wasn't a class for me. It was just our students doing that kind of thing. So, uh, but then other times, uh, I've got the seniors this semester and I'll have one project uh, in the semester that I'm calling a passion project. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get them now to think about what they want to be doing after graduation. Uh, Excellent. Hard yeah. to think like, oh, if you want to be an app designer or web designer and you haven't done much with that, maybe you should. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they'll be assigned a find something you care about and uh, find the best way to create something for that. So it might oh. be uh, research, you know, a local cause you care about and create a website to raise awareness or a social media campaign. So leaving it pretty open ended, but then also allowing them to maybe tag on to some real world projects. Uh, so we're probably going to have another team for the NASA project this year. So if they wanted to do something like that, they could. Um, and we had uh, connections too with uh, a project here called Future House which is a prototype for the home of the future. And okay. um, it won the International Solar Decathlon this year. So we didn't have anything to do with the architecture, but uh, we had a small grant to create an app for the home. Uh, so I worked with a team of students on creating that prototype for an app. And you know, so they got to have that nice interaction with this real world project that's out there. Oh, see, that's, that's perfect. And, it it seems to be connected to, and by the way, those are all on her website as well. Go check <laughs> it out. Um, they seem to be all, again, ex- I, I don't want to keep saying it, but the experience design, as far as a graphic design, a visual design application, keep, keep coming into play. Um, and it also seems to be this idea of your, your community that you're, that you're working in, in your network. Um, you talked a little bit about how the um, exhibition space was across the street, yeah. how your colleagues are just down the down the hall sometimes or within the university. Um, what what would you have to say to add to that discussion about the the community? Um, yeah. Should how do we even find out about that kind of stuff as we're just getting into education? Yeah. And you know, you might be moving through that chain of adjunct visiting, lecturing, and whatever it might be, and then you just want to just, this is going to be it. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. How, do you, how do you pick a university? I mean, the university also has to pick you. Right. <laughs> uh, but that can really change, it can change your trajectory and what you do. Yeah, truly. So I would say that um, all sorts of communities are helpful and that I, I think part of, me knowing about all the resources that are here and knowing the people down the hall are um i've been here for 
you know, this is going on my ninth year now. And those first few years, I really didn't have that. It was yeah. much more isolated. And this is Blacksburg, Virginia. It's not New York City where there's things every which way. And so you do have to find things a little bit more. But uh, I, I think in building community and uh, when you are meeting people, being open to listening. We've got an institute called the Institute for Creativity, Arts and Technology here. And they host, you know, Friday talks with different people. So um, going to things like that. Uh, I obviously believe in AIGA since I'm part of the design mm -hmm. educators community. Yeah. But that's been truly beneficial to me. I've seen uh, people that I look up to who, even if it's just, you know, five to 10 years of where I'd like to be, um, it's nice to have those role models and mentors in your life, um, as well as then what we can give back to other people. So they've launched the design teaching resource, which has projects and things for people. And you talked a little bit about wanting to think more about design writing. So that's not my number one strength, but, uh, dialectic is a design journal that, uh, AIG has helped get off the ground and mm -hmm. we're really trying to help promote design writing and uh, connecting with the diversity and inclusivity group at AIGA and uh, we're, we really try to represent across the country different types of institutions and different backgrounds uh, so what we're representing of education is holistic not just a narrow lens of a few different types of schools uh, but I would say so you and I met at TypeCon and mm -hmm. Um, that's another group that does a really nice job of supporting education. So they have a full yes. day education forum and Sharon Oiga who yep. organizes it is lovely. Hopefully I, I didn't butcher say, her shout, shout out to, to Shara and Guy. Oh. Sharon and Guy. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. I did butcher her last name, but she's lovely. Um, so things like that where uh, by having a event like that where you can be in person and then AIGA allowing educators to have a track at the national conference is such a great way to see what other people are up to. So you might be lucky and have something down the hall, but you might yeah. be in a one person program or where you don't have anyone there. So definitely. But, uh, I, I was going to, I was going to bring up the, the fact of um, like some, some universities are really good at that, community shout out emails or whatever it might be that these events are happening. Um, and typically every university has so much going on. It's, it's absolutely amazing, but I'm always shocked at the amount of, uh, involvement kind of when you, when you go to some of these events and the turnout is, is kind of slim and you just kind of wonder, or it's, um, just little niches. Like it's something, let's say the science or the engineer, uh, departments putting on, engineering department uh, it's just like this little nucleus of the engineering faculty and then if somebody else is there from somewhere else they don't really interact um and it happens even at, at TypeCon and in, in any conference you go to you know you get the familiarity and you find people um kind of nesting in their own safe zone um and so i think it's really important that we as educators kind of break through those and go introduce yourself to to yeah. someone else and find out what they're doing and just be curious. I think that's one of the most important things. Yeah. Um, I think also being open to opportunities, that little bit of serendipity 
And, you know, sometimes it might be a big grant project, but most of the time it's probably not, at least not right away. And mm -hmm. so just building those connections, having those conversations. Oh, exactly. I just uh, worked with um, um, a, a professor from the music department. Um, he teaches uh, trombone and I designed his new CD package oh, cool. uh, for, for his new album. But that's a connection to the music department where I can say, hey, Justin, who, who can I talk to about this thing or that thing? Or reaching out to him to see if he wants to be involved in some type of musical composition for an exhibition or something like that. So, yeah, those, those little opportunities that may seem um, perhaps insignificant, it's a bad way to call them, at the time are actually great opportunities. So, it's yeah, we don't want to forget about those. What about the students now? So uh, it's really hard to get students involved. So do you guys have an AIGA student chapter? Yes, I also run the AIGA student <laughs> chapter. Although I would say, uh, you know, we have years where we're really active and we always try to bring at least one designer to campus. And we're lucky that we usually have some sort of visiting artist designer budget. And we've got some nice relationships with a screen printing faculty in the architecture school where we'll uh, often bring people in together. Uh, he has a thing where he tries to get different designers to create posters for the university. I think it might have started when we invited Jay Ryan, uh, if you might know the bird machine, who mm -hmm. screen printed a poster promoting his visit to campus, but he's gotten Martin Vodetsky and different people to do it. So it's nice when you even just have one partner in crime, which can help with some of these things. Uh, although I've got a good faculty here as well. I, I, but there is that balance and I almost go more for less but better now because I was finding my own burnout and the student burnout of if you have mandatory events, first of all, mm. it's really hard if people have jobs and how do you balance trying right. to be understanding as a human and know you need to care about these designers. Um, so just trying to build a little bit of that studio culture uh, within campus and let them do a little bit on their own, but also having, whether it's a film screening or portfolio review or bringing a visiting designer just to get them excited. But there is that saturation point for sure. Yeah. I, I just realized too, that, um, our conversation kind of organically moved away from, um, you know, finding a university that kind of aligns uh, with your research. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's skip back really quick and uh, touch on that. Do you have advice, uh, for that? Yeah, uh, I'd say read the job description for starters. So, um, you know, being on both sides of search committees now, I've seen the, oh, I can see why I did get an offer there or didn't get an offer here because when they say required qualifications, they mean required qualifications. But uh, I'd say for it's a little bit of what you'd be doing in the day to day. It's also who you'd be working with and the size of the program, I think matters quite a bit. Uh, for instance, right now we have four faculty and we have one cohort of students that moves through our graphic design program. So we're very tight knit and we all work together a lot and you have to be able to teach all different levels when you're such a small program. Uh, and then there's others that might have different sorts of resources if you have say 20 faculty but you might be teaching two sections of something very specialized or, uh, and then other people that have to do everything all on their own. So yeah. 
Um, and some of it too, I think is location. So uh, I never would have thought I'd live in Southwest Virginia. Uh, I, I like it here. <laughs> it's been growing on me quite a lot, but uh, because there's also travel opportunities, I think that's something that balances this university for me. So it's a little bit of that uh, living in, you know, the Blue Ridge Mountains, which has its pros and cons. No traffic is a really nice one. Uh, but yeah. then also getting to do something like a study abroad or connect with other people at conferences. Um, uh, but yeah, the making sure that what the job description is aligns with what you really want to be doing. Yeah. So uh, did you, you know, in, in landing at Virginia Commonwealth, did you kind of look around and go, well, they've got this great gallery space over here. Well, they've got this going on over there. So it, do, do you think it, it comes down to um, just taking things as it goes and just finding where the research fits or is it, or is it something more plan planable? Can we really kind of sit back and go, well, I think if my, my area and my passion is in, is in typography, um, maybe it's not, you know, central Arkansas that, that I'm going to end up, you know, um, and again, I'm in the same same boat. I never thought I would live in central Arkansas, but uh, after being here for a year and a half, uh, I'm like this this would like duh, you know. It's just it's magical. It's beautiful. I've got great colleagues. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out how this changes my research because I was an associate professor for four years at Purdue uh, in northern Indiana, and it was going on a, a certain path, and everything seemed to be falling into place. Um, then when I decided to change universities, uh, and I left Purdue and said, this is what I'm going to do now. Uh, and I'm here, I'm actually finding myself going, well, that same, same area of research doesn't necessarily coexist with where I am now. And I'm really concerned. How does it, how does this affect my research? How does this change in my research? change my promotion and tenure right? right does it does it suddenly change what the university was expecting they would get as a as a faculty member uh are they expecting me to continue that research so it's it's a very interesting yeah. dichotomy of like what i love what they love where am i what's available uh, right. yeah yeah Thoughts? so uh i think uh one part of that is faculty need to complement one another so while I have said we tend to try to teach at all different levels, where we're now that I feel like we've gained more stability, like we've had a more established faculty for a few years and uh, we might be growing a little bit more, we're starting to get to say, okay, well, uh, well, I, I guess I'm a type nerd, so I tend to teach typography classes, but even things of do I take a deeper dive in motion graphics or do I keep it a little more surface on web and app and motion? So I think having a faculty that's able to communicate in that way, if you're lucky, I think can really allow for that. And also if you're lucky, having a program that understands that times change. And I would say that pretty much everywhere it does. So Virginia Tech, uh, at the university level has this initiative called Beyond Boundaries in which they're really trying to create uh, these interdisciplinary communities on top of undergraduate degrees. So you might be working with 
one called creativity and innovation is you know more the kind of art side but an engineer might come in and want to connect in those different ways so i think education in general is even changing so they should assumedly mm -hmm. expect that our disciplines would change and the life of an educator especially if you get tenure might be 20 30 or more years and so hopefully department knows that it's going to change over time but if not maybe that's the bad fit <laughs> yeah. yeah um and this kind of reminds me about uh the student end to this right i would say and i don't know the numbers you may even know data more than i do on this but um every university i would say there's 70 percent of four-year universities that end up being a regional draw local draw primarily somewhat of a regional draw but i would probably guess there's an 80 percent of a local draw to any any university um i i, I believe maybe a decade ago there was more opportunity to do a, a regional and national draw but i think that now it's it's changed back to more of a local um this is where your students are coming from so the students don't really have a choice if you will as to where the educators focus is where their passion is um i i from your perspective from uh, you know being part of the aiga design educators community has that ever been a discussion before I'm, I'm very curious about this and and do we try to communicate to students to do their research you know, because it's important enough for us as educators to know where we want to teach and where we belong. But yeah. if a student's aspirations are to do X, Y, Z, if they go to university that has ABC just because it's local, and how many young students really know that? You know, right. and and how do we how do we let students know this when they're when they're looking at us as a university? Yeah, I'd say uh, well the main mission of the AIJ Design Educators community is to provide resources and support and connection for design educators with mm -hmm. the idea that if you do all of that, then they can empower students and help students. Uh, so our emphasis has been mostly on helping design educators and not as much directly connecting with the students as, again, that's sort of what we want everyone else to go do. Uh, but I, I do like that as a conversation. And I, I think also the budgetary models are one thing that are shifting a lot of programs and you know state universities have their own challenges. And you might mm -hmm. think a school like Virginia Tech gets a lot of its money from state funding, but I think we're down to 17% and oh, wow. they're assuming it's going to keep being lower. And I was talking to someone else who said that their state school was only 4% funded uh, so, uh, I think too, trying to figure out where you get your students from, but, uh, if we can get educators to have communities and tools and to be looking toward the future, uh, I think that allows that even if you're a one person art and design school, uh, on your own, that if those tools are available, it can help you as well. Uh, but, and it, it is strange just to think where education is going in general. So Virginia Tech, for instance, uh, love it or hate it, uh, we also have that big partnership with Amazon. So there's going to be a billion dollar Amazon campus outside of DC, which is about four hours north of here or 12 if there's traffic. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, 
but it's shifting how our whole university is thinking about things because they're building up that uh, secondary campus, which might even become more than a secondary campus. And how does it impact our current students? But uh, industry partners too is a really big shift in education. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, the design educators community uh, is really kind of trying to keep on this on the pulse of this stuff. And, um, hopefully, um, all of our listeners to the podcast are trying to stay involved in the AIGA. So let me ask you, um, have you, have you seen the involvement? Have you seen the numbers? Uh, we know kind of on a rough idea, how many universities are in the United States. We know roughly how many design programs are in the United States we can get a rough ballpark as to how many design educators uh, are out there. Um, what are you seeing from uh, being a co-chair on the board as to the success of AIGA and their, and the design educators community and how that's um, working with us as a, as a um, profession question mark. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been really pleased with what I've seen from AIGA national, not just the design educators part where they've been yes, more supportive. Very true. Yeah, thank uh, you for saying educators. that. Yeah. yeah. So I know they've been revamping some things and also worrying about budgets and sustainability long term. Uh, but they really do seem to care about educators. And so um, I think having that positive relationship there is really helpful. Uh, and then I would say um, the individuals that are involved with the design educators community right now have been really phenomenal. We had an insane number of applicants to the board uh, this past go round, and you know, had the good problem of turning away a lot of really incredible, qualified, talented people, but hoping that they still want to connect. And so, mm-hmm. um, is there is there like a criteria that you guys follow for that? Yeah. So whenever we have a call for new board members, we're looking to try to have um, diverse areas of interest. So, you know, both people that might be more making oriented and others that might be more um, writing, design writing or uh, traditional research. Uh, And then we also look to have different types of universities, so public and private and uh, historically black colleges and universities and usually an industry practitioner or two, as well as uh, really representing as broad geographically as possible. So we've got, you know, from California to Texas to Puerto Rico. Um, So really making sure, because it would be, we could have filled the whole board with people from California because there's a lot of people Mm -hmm. in California, but uh, so sometimes it's hard to, when there's someone, you know, would do a killer job, but there's already a representative from there area so trying to make sure voices get heard that way gotcha and so what other successes are you guys seeing uh that you're working through yeah so well the i mentioned briefly the design teaching resource and so that's a open archive for projects that anyone can upload projects i've uploaded a few and then it allows people to use those in their classroom hopefully giving credit to the people who shared those uh, and then there's the dialectic design journal but also in association with that trying to help people build up their design writing skills 
And we've also got uh, our online community. So, you know, that side of things. And we always are a part of the national conference. Um, and so this year it'll be in Pittsburgh uh, around April Fools. And then we have a standalone design educators conference. So promoting research, promoting design education, and really empowering educators as best we can. Excellent. And I, and I also encourage a lot of our students to try to get involved from the yeah. student standpoint as well. Well, uh, especially I think if you don't have a big city, it's yeah. a really important way to well that. And it can make big cities seem smaller. So it I always can, tell yeah. my students to sign up for the newsletters from the cities they want to live in. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. our closest chapters are all three hours where three hours from Nashville, three hours from Charlotte three hours from Richmond. So, you know, just signing up for those different events that allows you to break down those bigger cities, not that they're big cities. So. Right, right. No, definitely. Yeah. It gives, it gives you that portal, even if there's not a student yeah. chapter, kind of get, it kind of opens up that network and that, that community. Right. Um, yep. Boy, I'm having one of those days where I, or I've got <laughs> a great thought and a great idea and then, um, something, something distracts it, uh, from there. Um, that's me that's, every day. Yeah, yeah. It Although that, I don't always have the great thoughts. I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's it's because we keep filling our brains with so much research oh, information. Yeah. Um, yep, yep. I I lost it. So I'll go to the next. I'll, I'll go to the next thing that I had in mind. Then was um, some of the challenges that you might be seeing um, from that. Yeah, I mean, I would say funding, unfortunately, is a big one. So we're having to get more creative. We'd had. Um, National uh, or AIJ National, for instance, Dialectic fully funded the first four issues, which is incredible. But uh, they just, it's not sustainable to keep doing so. So we have to get creative about sponsors. And I know conferences, it's the same kind of thing, like trying to figure out how can these things be self sustaining. Uh, And universities, I think Mm -hmm. we have similar problems of budgets getting cut and if you're doing this really great research or other people are and you want to bring them in uh how do you do that i guess podcast is one way now you can (laughs) connect across the country with just video but uh you know sometimes you have to get creative with how you can make things happen because you don't always have the same resources yeah because you could be you could be working on a certain you know trajectory of research Uh, and everything went well for, you know, the first part and you've got a great exhibition and everything went well. And then all of a sudden funding gets cut and then you've just got to, you've got to change. You got to adjust. I do remember now what, uh, what else I was going to, uh, bring up about the good. And then we'll come back to some of the more challenges really quick. Um, I think a lot of, uh, educators forget, you know, the lines on the CV, the stuff Mm. that goes in your tenure packet. So like serving on the board of the AIGA is like, woohoo, right? That's like a, a big score. But I think we tend to forget even being involved in the the teaching portal where even if we submit a project to that and it's a part of that database. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a moment of technical difficulty. No, it's fine. Uh as Megan works through that, you know, the, the beauty of live, uh, live recording. Almost there. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's so, completely fine. Do the batteries die on the, uh, yes. on the pods? 
I was That's awesome. planning ahead though. So I have backup plans. So sorry yeah, about yeah. that. Uh, so no what, problem. What was your uh, lovely thought? Yeah. And this is, this is part of the beauty of my, my podcast and, uh, um, um, Gary Rosance, you know, he asked me after the podcast, so he goes like, you know, so edit out all my ums and my like pauses. And I was like, no, you don't understand. We're, we're rolling. And this, this is basically that live conversation and I don't want it to see manufactured or studio edited. So, um, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. So my, my thought was, um, Right. If, if we don't get on the board of the AIGA, yeah. we're like, oh, bummer. I can't, I, you know, I really wanted to have that on my, a line on my CV and my tenure case. But uploading a project to the teaching oh, portal yeah. yes, is, is <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's a line of you're, you're active and you're involved and you're, you're serving the community. And I think we, we have to always be remembering those opportunities. That's yeah. what I was going to bring up that. I well, and I would also say things like, uh, as much as I, I do think it looks good, especially for maybe external reviewers and things like that. Uh, I am in an art school, not a design school. And actually we don't have any tenured graphic designers right now. And wow. so uh, an art historian doesn't even know what AIGA is for the most part. And you know, so as far as people at the university even knowing what I'm doing, probably don't have much, but if there's organizations that you find that you're getting a lot out of. And mm -hmm. I'd say the mentorship I got from others who previously served in this role is a huge part of why I wanted to give back because it is a lot of time and effort, but you're right. Yeah. Like, I think there's a lot of ways to get involved and yeah. uh, that, you know, sharing a project on the design teaching resource and mm -hmm. maybe connecting with someone who ends up using your project is can really yeah. build some great relationships. Yeah, I think you and I have a very similar uh, model then uh, for our place of uh, teaching. Um, we're, we're an art program as well. Uh, yeah. we, we do have, we're fortunate enough where we do have one tenured, uh, graphic design faculty. Okay. That's my colleague. Uh, and he has been so helpful. Good. Um, so yeah, that's also a good comment. And, um, I do plan on having a, um, a season two where we talk about, you know, tenure and, and what does tenure look like and, and how do we, how do we even understand, you know, what to do? Um, so besides the budget, do you think there's any major challenges? Yeah, for sure. You know? yeah, okay. Um, well, I think that a lot of the challenges facing everyone in the U.S. are facing designers too. Uh, and some of it's more political than others. So mm -hmm. I was a few years ago accepted to be a part of this artist residency in the Arctic. But it was one that you had to fund your own travel to get there. And uh, I wanted to make it a part of a larger uh, research project on global warming. And I applied to a number of grants for this. And a few of the ones that I had applied to actually, uh, in their comments on why they rejected it, said it was because one of the reviewers did not believe in global warming and so therefore would not mm. supporting such research. I'm not saying that's the only reason yep. I... Oh, sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of strange challenges facing yes. designers right now. And... Yeah. Uh, I think communicating across differences, but uh, these sort of strange political times too. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, that's something in our uh, one upper level graphic design course. Uh, we have a weekly discussion on a different topic and it ranges from ethics to yeah. responsibility uh, to what is thinking and uh, all kinds of different aspects. Yeah. One of them coming up is is the political environment. 
yeah. economic environment and what those mean to a designer. So yeah, all those things, right. they still, they never go away. They're all right. they're well, part of what I do. As a educator, I really want to be inclusive of everyone in my classroom. Mm-hmm. And that means, you know, conservative Christians and, you know, ultra liberals outside of DC. And so, uh, trying to find a way for people to have good debates and discussions while being respectful of all people in the classroom and yeah, how sometimes, you know, if I've got things I care tremendously passionately about, like finding that balance of being able to be your authentic self in the classroom, but also mm-hmm. not ostracizing people. I know, for instance, design organizations tend to be pretty liberal and, um, at the AIJ leadership conference, they had a whole ethics conversation around this book called uh, Ruined by Design. And so I picked mm. it up and oh. had started reading it. And I'm loving everything it's saying, but it, it's saying things like, if you voted for Trump, stop reading now. And then it bugs me because I'm like, how, how can you have a conversation about ethics if you're cutting out half the conversation? Or, right. Uh, yeah. You know, but Interesting. Very liberal, but still trying to figure out right. ways of being an ultra liberal that's not just trying to talk to other yeah liberals. yeah yeah how how do you stay neutral and respectful yeah um through a like lot of those really having an inclusive pieces. classroom yeah yeah i think that's really important um we, we could talk for Sorry. probably another hour or two i know i know we could let me ask you um any any uh secrets of what you're working on now can you share what's coming up or uh is it kind of like uh got to keep these things under wraps until it comes out what what's next uh so i would say that i have just gotten over the submit everything for tenure hump and just finished a study abroad trip over the summer so i'm a little bit on the uh, but uh yeah, we did have an art store close here recently, uh, which was very sad. We loved it, but um, they shared some of their supplies, like old letter set and some projects. Oh, wow. and so I've been having some fun with creating some background images digitally, like using processing or other digital methods. And then I'm playing around with uh, recreating them with these analog means I think it appeals to my obsessive and perfectionist nature to nice. mess around with those. So I don't know how much is going to come out of that yet. I've made one poster, but I think it could yeah. maybe become a larger series if that, that is interesting because it, it's it is sort of a shift from your experiential work where there's a lot of technology yeah. uh involved where where now you're doing that comparison of technology to analog. Um well and I would say there's some uh ongoing things. So we had that uh, Poe project where we did the 360 video of okay. the Telltale Heart that I had illustrated. Uh, and I've got a partner in the university libraries whose focus is on AR and VR. And we're uh, trying to make an augmented reality book of uh, the Telltale Heart. Oh, wow. so the idea is that, you know, you could interact and really Poe seems like a great opportunity there. That's so, exciting. Uh, trying to make that happen and then doing the NASA suits project again, if we can get our team together. Oh, that'll be fun. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to stay tuned to everything that you're, oh. that you're doing just cause I, I, I just have this passion to see what all, uh, my, uh, colleagues, friends like yourself and other educators that are out there that, uh, don't even know that I'm cyber stalking them <laughs> and, uh, looking at their research work and the cool things that they're doing. So, 
Uh, I can't wait to see how those things develop. Thank you so much. Um, of course, I, I, I'm sure that you do, and I know I've got some teaching yet to do today. So as we wrap things up, um, where can where can we come and find your awesome awesome projects, awesome work, and kind of keep an eye on what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much. Uh, I've got my website where I try to keep things updated, just megandy.com, spelled weird like me, I can uh, And I on the normal social media with non-creative names because they're always just my name. Uh, and then if yeah. anyone ever wants to connect with AIGA, they're also on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and just look for AIGA Design Educators Community or Design Teaching Resource. Awesome. Yeah, I'm the same way. Everything's just like Peter Bella Jr. Yeah. If you just Google <laughs> well, that, my name. Uh, you'll either find me or a bodybuilder or uh, a doctor. So just look for the designer. That's, that's, that's me. I don't, uh, I don't have all those other accolades. I know I'm old uh, enough. I actually get all the right emails and things too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They got and, taken. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, I would, I, I definitely want to encourage people to also to get involved. Um, even if it's through Facebook, through the AIGA design educators community, how responsive the group is, how well they communicate with each other, how well the board is active and the administrators are active on that website as well uh, is fantastic. Uh, I've asked a couple questions here and there. I'm not like overly like constantly like in there asking for things or, or uh, seeking information. Uh, but whenever I do, it's the response time is is fantastic and I get a lot of positive stuff out of that. So everybody, yes, let's continue that conversation, be part of the the community. And um, it's amazing what we gain from that experience too. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I believe in it and I would be surprised if we run into people who disagree, but I know they're out there. Um, and but I'm we willing also to... want to know how to make things better. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Like so conversations with people about promotion and tenure standards. It's like, it, oh, it, we should make an archive for that. And exactly. Yeah. Let us let us know how yeah. we can help. That's that's the that's the idea. So, exactly. Megan, it's been a, a fantastic <laughs> conversation as always. Um, I hope you enjoyed TypeCon. I lived um, vicariously through through <laughs> you and some others that made it this year. I haven't made it for the last three years now, but uh, I got to change that. Yeah. Um, so again, uh, I really enjoyed talking with you and hopefully we can uh, chat again really soon. I love that. So All right. Hope to see you soon. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much, Megan. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode. The Designed Podcast website is located at thedesignedpodcast.com. There you can find notes on the episodes, links to our guests, links to resources, and more regarding the many things discussed during each show. If you find the design podcast interesting and informative, please subscribe on Apple Podcast or on your favorite podcast service. You can also follow the Design Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and subscribe to our video version of the podcast on YouTube. Please join us for the next episode of the Design Podcast and let's continue to create success in design education.